We're in a third week of a series that we'll continue for the next couple of weeks. It's called You Are Here. It's kind of a strange name for a series, isn't it? You Are Here. Well, you know, you are here, so we're going to talk about some stuff, okay, for the next few weeks. We talked a couple of weeks ago, I shared with you about that where we begin, and it's talking about how we live out our faith in the different environments that we're in. The first, the first place we live, our, uh, we live out our faith is in our mind, and we talked about that a couple of weeks ago. You're transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's where it all starts at, how you think about things. Then last week, Chris and Brandon talked about this whole thing of, of how we live out our faith in school and, and uh, in, in our home in regard to parents, in regard to that relationship. Today I want to talk about something that probably hits most, pretty much all of us, and that's work. And I'm not just talking about it's working in a job. I'm talking about working at home, working wherever you are. Your attitude and how you live out your faith there is probably one of the biggest struggles that we often have, is how do we go about doing that. And so this morning I want to share with you, um, I was actually at one of my favorite new restaurants not long ago. And you'll be surprised, I usually eat at little bit better ones than this. But uh, we were on the road in, uh, uh, last year, and we were trying to find a place that we could quickly get some food to eat that I could eat and go down the road and still eat while we're driving because we do a lot of driving, okay? And uh, so we found out that Jimmy John's has this, thing, this wonderful thing called an unwitch. Any of you ever had an unwitch before? Yeah, you know what an unwitch is? Man, it's great. It's basically any of their subs wrapped in a lettuce and lettuce wrap. That's what it is. I'll take any of their subs. So for me, uh, that's a fantastic thing. And you go down the road and eat it. It's, just don't get all the sloppy stuff on it, okay? I want to tell you, it can become a mess. I found that the first time, I, the Italian dressing ran into, onto my shorts as we were driving down the road. And it wasn't really fun to do that. But when I was just a few weeks ago, I was over in the Washington Jimmy John's. And as I was standing there, and they're freaky fast, by the way, okay? But... Uh, <laughs> And so you don't have time to stand around a lot, but I was standing there, and one of the cool things about Jimmy John's is they have all these sayings and these signs on the wall. Now, if you've never been there, you need to go there just to read the signs on the wall because they're really good. They're good stuff. And one of the things I found out was as I walked in the door there, and just as you go, just to let you know where it's at, in Washington, you walk in, and just to the left, right past the Castro, oh, just to the left, there was this story on the wall. And I had enough time, barely enough time to read it before I got my sub. But this, the story is called, and you may have heard this before, it's called How Much is Enough? And I um, thought it's a great way to start this morning. So I, I, it was too much to put up on the screen, so I'll just read it to you. Uh, it's, I don't know if it's, I'm sure it's a made-up story, but it's a great made-up story. It says this, the American investment banker was at a pier of a small coastal Mexican village when a small boat with just one fisherman docked. Inside the small boat were several large fin tuna. The American complimented the Mexican on the quality of his fish and asked how long it took him to catch them. Oh, the Mexican replied, well, only a little while. And the American then asked, well, why didn't he stay out longer and catch more fish? The Mexican said he had, a, had enough to support his family's immediate needs. And then the American then asked, what do you want to do with the rest of your time? What do you do with the rest of your time? And the Mexican fisherman said, well, this is what I do. I sleep late, I fish a little, I play with my children, I take a siesta with my wife, Maria. I stroll into the village each evening where I sip wine and play guitar with my amigos, and I have a full and busy life. The American scoffed. He says, I am a Harvard MBA, and I could help you. You could spend more time fishing, and with the proceeds, buy a bigger boat, and with the proceeds from the bigger boat, you could buy several more boats. Eventually, you could have a fleet of fishing boats, and instead of selling your catch to a middleman, you could sell directly to the processor, eventually opening your own cannery. 
You can control the product, processing, and distribution. You, could leave, you, can, you would need to leave this small coastal fishing village and move to Mexico City, then to L.A., and eventually New York City, where you will run your expanding enterprise. The Mexican fisherman asked, well, how long will that take? The American said, 15 to 20 years. But what then? Asked the Mexican. The American laughed and said, though, that's the best part. When the time is right, you could announce an IPO and sell your company stock to the public and become very rich. You would make millions. And then the Mexican fisherman looks at him and goes, millions? Then what? The American said, then you could retire. Move to a small coastal fishing village where you could sleep late, (laughs) fish a little, play with your kids, take a siesta with your wife, stroll to the village in the evening, sip wine, and play your guitar with your amigos. thought that was a great story. <laughs> I sit there laughing, and the guy, the, the guy in the, in, <laughs> Jimmy Jones said, what are you laughing? I said, this is a great story. You read? Said, yeah, man, I read it every day. So it reminds me why I work at Jimmy Jones. No, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> the question for me and for you today is how do you view your work? How do you view your work? That's a big question. And as I was back, another series we just completed just recently about uh, the Reformation, uh, as I was studying that, I was reminded about, uh, about this issue that was really something prevalent in the Reformation because in the 16th century, Protestant reformers like John Calvin and Martin Luther argued that all work, that all work, even so-called secular work, was as much a calling from God as the ministry of the monk or the priest in their day. See, the focus of their theology put special stress on the dignity of all work, observing that God cared for and fed and clothed and sheltered and and supported the human race through our human labor. And Martin Luther said it this way. He says, when we work, we are the fingers of God, the agents of his providential love for others. And he says, this understanding elevates the purpose of work to making a living and getting money to loving our neighbor, and at the same time releases us from the crushing burden of working primarily to prove ourselves, which so many of us do. Just get in a conversation with a guy. How you doing? What are you doing? And as soon as he gets there, what's the next part of the conversation? How's your job? What do you do? What do you do? We don't really ask the important question, which we'll talk about today, because it would be a weird question, and you'll understand why later to ask in a conversation like that. See, work not only cares for the creation, but directs it in different ways. And then there's, I found out in studying for this, this message that there's all kind of recent uh, conversations about work that's going on in Christian circles. I mean, there is blogs and there's, and there's, and there's uh, conversation everywhere about this. And there's different streams of Christianity that say that this is what work should be about. So let me just give you some, some uh, so if you're trying to be faithful in your, in your uh, Christian life, in regard to your work, you might find yourself trying to weigh sentiments as varied as these. Now, here's some of the ones that we see. Uh, and, and these are all out of different Christian streams. The way to serve God at work is to further social justice in the world. Some people think that's part of what work, work's all about. Others say the way to serve God is, at work is to be personally honest and evangelize your colleagues. We'd probably more in that stream a little bit. Uh, the way to serve God at work is just to do skillful, excellent work. Uh, one stream says the way to serve God at work is to create beauty. Another one say the way to serve God at work is to work from a Christian motivation to glorify God, seeking to engage and influence culture to that end. Another group says the way to serve God at work is to work with a grateful, joyful, gospel-changing heart through all the ups and downs. 
Another one says the way to serve God at work is to do whatever you, gives you the greatest joy and passion. Another says the way to serve God at work is to make as much money as you can so you can be as generous as you can. It's kind of an interesting prospect there. But anyway, these are all come out of different Christian perspectives. And you see these, sometimes they're complementary, but sometimes they're almost opposed to one another in regard to their slant. I was reading a book recently called uh, Habits of the Heart by a guy named Robert Bella. And, and he talks about this whole thing of what we've lost in our culture uh, is this idea of community. We've, we think that we're all about individualism. It's all about me. And that filter, filters over into the, into the workplace as well because we think we work just for me. That's our purpose at work. But he says when we, we need to recapture, in a sense, this idea of community. And, and the idea, he says, is that by, by doing that, we recover not only uh, a different perspective on our jobs, but we, we actually heal society in a real sense. And now the Latin word vocare is the word that comes, vocation comes from, is the root, of our, is the root word that we're going to be talking about today. See, a job is not just a vocation, well, is a vocation only if someone calls you to do it. And, and it, you do it uh, for them rather than for yourself. And so we as Christians need to understand, and then we're going to talk about this this morning, what it means that you, and not just me as pastors, and pastors of a church, but you are called. You are called to specific things in your life and not just pastors. So if you do whatever you do, it's a calling. God calls you to do it. It means he's asking you to do something for him. And then in the New Testament, uh, there's a Greek word used to call. It's usually the word kaleo, and you don't have to understand that. But it usually describes God's summons to men and women into saving faith and union with his son. It's in Romans 8.30. That's one place it's, it's located. Uh, you can pop up the next verse there, Romans 8.30. And, and, and this is, we're not going to read that, but I put it up on the screen. This, that's, that's where the word first is used. Also, it's uh, uh, another place it's used the word to call is by God calls us to reach the world with his message. That's in 1 Peter 2, verses 9 and 10. And, and literally, you know what the word church comes from? It comes from a Greek word called ekklesia. And you know what that word means, Literally. Called out ones. We together are the ones that are called out. So I want to change your perspective. If you don't think of yourself as being called by God, I want to tell you you are. And you just don't have to be in the church to be called by God. God calls all of us that are Christians. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul counsels readers uh, there that when they become Christians... It's interesting, now, you go back and read this later, and we're going to look at another verse extensively in a few moments, but go back and read 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Paul counsels readers that when they become Christians, it is unnecessary, unnecessary to change what they are currently doing in their life, their marital state, their job, or their social station, in order to live their life before God in a way that pleases him. Verse 17 of chapter 7 says it this way, only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. If you're a believer, and Paul was writing this to believers, you are called by God to live your life for him. And that includes your work. That includes your work. And you, Paul uses two uh, religiously weighted heavy words here, assigned and called here. We're not going to go into all that today. But the interesting thing here is this. When Paul is talking about this, He's not call, talking about church ministries. He's saying we're called. He's talking about secular jobs as well. 
And he's, call, he's saying that we're named, uh, God is calling us to secular jobs and assignments, and he doesn't really separate secular and sacred uh, like they did back a long time ago. Now, the implication this morning we're going to talk about is this. It's very clear. At least it's clear to me. I hope it will be clear to you by the time we finish, okay? Uh, just as God equips Christians for building up the body of Christ, because, uh, Mike, you, you teach class 301, okay? In 301, we talk about our gifts, our shape, our abilities, Shape is not just for the church. Shape is for our lives. God gives us spiritual gifts, heart, A, abilities, P, personality, experiences, and all those go together in a sense to do what? To shape our life as we're called out by God. And that should, should have something to do with what we do in our daily work as well. Now, if your work is a calling from God, the question for us today, and this is what I want to spend the rest of our time on, is just looking at two verses of Scripture. Uh, if our work is a calling from God, how do you live it out on a daily basis? That's the question for us, right? How do you live it out? I think you just go back and read Scripture, first of all, to understand that you are called by God, right? Can you agree with that? You're called by God? It's what the Scripture just said very clearly. But in Colossians chapter 3, that's where we're going to hang out this morning for just a few minutes. I want to talk to you about what it says about how you do that. How do you live out your life if you're called by God, which we all are? How do you live out your life in regard to your daily work? Um, the context is interesting here because if you read the whole chapter of chapter 3 of Colossians, Paul is kind of talking about living our life out for Christ in various situations. He talks, about, he talks about wives, husbands, children, fathers. And then right before this in verse 22, he, he jumps into this weird thing for me. It's weird because in our culture, he, he talks to slaves. Now, if I was going to talk to slaves as a Christian, what would y'all say? Run! You know, God doesn't like slavery, but what does Paul say? Read verse 22. He says, if you're a slave, he says, don't leave where you are. Be the best slave you can be. Isn't that weird? But he's, in the context of this culture, he's saying this is where we are. We're not going to try to change everything immediately here, but the reality is be a good slave. And then at the end of this, in the first part of chapter, the next chapter, chapter 4, he talks to masters. And he says, masters, treat your slaves with dignity and worth. And he talks about how we like. Now, we're, we're somewhere in between slaves and masters, right? So in between these two, these two verses, verses 23 and 24, it's talking to all of us, slaves, masters, and everybody in between about how you relate to God on a daily basis. So let's read the whole verses, and we'll come back and break them up a little bit. Colossians chapter 3, verses 23 and 24 says this. Whatever you do, how big is that? The Greek means whatever you do, okay? This is not like funny language here, okay? Whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart as working for the Lord. One translation that says as unto the Lord. Not for men, since you know that you will receive an inheritance for the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. These two verses give us insight into how we're to live our life out every day as called people in the world. So let's, let's talk about it for a minute. The first thing he does in, in verse 23a, the first part, he says, whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart. What does that mean? I think it's real simple what it means. It means this, give it, give it all, give it your all. Work hard. Put your heart into it. You know, you're going like, well, pastor, you don't understand. You don't know what job I do. Or my boss. You would not believe my boss. I'm supposed to work with all my heart for him. I've heard people say that before. 
Well, he just talked to slaves, and what did he say? Be the best slave you can be. And you're not a slave, probably. You may feel that way in your job sometimes. But the reality is he's saying, hey, as a believer, one of the things we do, we honor God by, by working with all of our heart, by giving it everything we have. He's basically saying, um, don't just show up and take, take up space. <laughs> I love, one of my favorite, and I've mentioned this, this guy before, and, and if you've never read it, it's not really, it's a little difficult to read, it, but it's really short. There's a devotional written by a guy named, a devotional book written by a guy named Brother Lawrence. Lived a long time ago. Dead guy now, okay? Uh, it's called The Practice of the Presence of God. And I'm always enamored with that little devotional. It's considered a classic devotional book, The pra- Practice of the Presence of God. Brother Lawrence was a monk in a monastery, And his primary job for many, many years was washing dishes. I think his his thing would have been, be the best dishwasher you can be. Because he wrote this devotional as he came out of that kind of thing. And he didn't write it like years later. He wrote it while he was in the practice. And so as he washed dishes each day, he would focus his attention upon his relationship with God. He practiced the presence of God in his life. He realized that God, he wasn't working for the other monks. He was working for God. And when you think that, what do you do? Do you want to do like shoddy work for God? No. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. That's the first thing it says here. Secondly, in, verses, uh, in verse 23, it says, whatever you do, work with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. You give it your all because this is something we really don't think about too often. Do you think in the morning when you go to work today, what I'm going to do is an act of worship? You think worship's just something you do in church when you throw up your hands, right? No. He's saying that our work, how we, how we give of ourselves to God, in our work, no matter what your work is. See, we're always worried about where you work and what you do. God's more concerned with how you do it. And so the reality is, he says, you work as working for the Lord, not for men. So how do you work for the Lord? We know how to work for men, right? We know how to work for men. Um, Let me just share this. You do as little as you can. Uh, You make sure you get credit for what, you know, even if it's not credit due uh, for you. Uh, You uh, appear to be very busy. We knew how to work for men. I'll never forget one of my first real jobs. I, I worked, did newspaper delivery when I was in high school and, you know, did stuff like that. Uh, but my first real job, I'd gone to college for a year at, at a community college in Virginia, and I just wasn't sure I really wanted to keep doing that because I just really wasn't, you know, college thing. <laughs> Come to find out, who would think I'd ever get a master's degree, you know, at that point. If I wanted to go sure I was going to get through the first year of, of, of uh, community college. But I got through... And then my dad said, well, why don't you take a year off and kind of figure out what's going on? My dad was a factory worker in General Electric. And he worked all his life there, retired for there at age 57. And um, so he got me a job. He helped me get a job there. And so I worked second shift at General Electric. Now, when you have no skills, <laughs> I mean no skills, you, you start at a place in General Electric called the Burr Line. Now, it sounds dramatic, doesn't it? The burr line. You know what the burr line is? Some of you know 
machining know exactly what I'm talking about. The burr line is when you drill something into a, into a hole in a piece of metal, it leaves this little burr, this little metal thing, and you got to grind it off. So my job all day long, every day, was to take little pieces of metal and sit with a grinder and go, you know, and do that all day long, all day long. And then that second shift, I le- that's when I learned to drink coffee too. They had co- free coffee there. I drank like eight cups a day. Tore up my stomach. I've been messed up for years because of that. But the reality is, but I'll never forget, okay, and I'm back to the point. Back, work is unto the Lord, okay? We know how to work for men. And it was amazing because most of the guys that worked in the burr line were like me, young, foolish, with no skills. But we had some really cool guys. We had, uh, we had the brothers, who were my brothers, played basketball with them, you know. And then I had, well, I call it, the, we had kind of the, we had a couple of guys that were kind of like 60s throwbacks. You know, long hair, beards. Uh, 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 and, and, and what they did is at dinner, you know, is in the middle of the evening, we go out, they'd go out to their vans and they'd come back glassy-eyed. <laughs> it was funny. <laughs> And every day we had to be, you know, meet a certain quota of stuff. Well, everybody learned pretty quickly that certain things, whoever made up how long it's supposed to take you on the job, some people, trained monkeys could have done a better job of making up how long it takes. Because some of these things, they'd have a, they'd have a, a job order on it, and we learned, oh, you can do this like in 10 times faster than what they say you can. And so everybody go over and grab those, you know. And I remember these, some of these guys that after dinner, you know, glassy-eyed, they'd be over there, and they'd be grinding a piece. And they grind a piece. And I saw one grind it all the way down to his thumb one time. Now, it wasn't smart, okay? But he appeared to be busy. But he did as little as possible just to get by. Okay? He knew how to work unto men. <laughs> but the question is, how do you work unto the Lord? You do it, you, 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 you look at it as an act of worship to God. Tomorrow morning when you go to work, Think of this, God is my boss, not the person who signs my paycheck. And if you think of it that way, how would it change the way you approach your day? The third thing in, that we see in this verse as well, in verse 24a, it says this, uh, he says, you know, works unto the Lord. He says, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. And they're going like, what? God's going to reward us for working well? Now, let me just... Disclaimer, has nothing to do with salvation, okay? Salvation is by grace through faith. But once you come to faith, you don't get extra brownie points to go to heaven from God, but he does, it says, reward you in heaven. And now how that works, I don't know. But you know something It's really interesting? Um, one of the things that we don't understand is we think that we're working for men, but but when we understand we're working for, for God, what does that mean? God is examining our work. God looks over everything we do. He knows how we're thinking. He knows what we're doing. And he is looking at our whole life. God is interested, God is interested in how we do our work because to him is an act of worship. One of the things we think is when we die and we go from this place and we go to the next place called heaven, for some reason we think that we go to heaven and sit around and float a lot. Play harps or something like that. I mean, we've seen those before. But you know the Bible teaches us that in heaven you will do work? It'll be meaningful work. It'll be something good. And, and, and in a sense, what I think this is talking about here, you will see what inheritance from the Lord is a reward, is God 
God is watching over your diligence now with your work to say, well, when they get to heaven, who are going to be the faithful workers who could be entrusted with greater responsibility, more rewarding jobs? It'll be rewarding for everybody, but I want the most rewarding, okay, in heaven. And that's what he's talking about here. See, what you do now, what, let me say this again, what you do now is not as important as how you do it. It really doesn't matter what your job is. It's how you do your job. The significance of your work is not found in the details of your job, but in how you're willing to put your heart into it, whatever God has called you to. And this is a stress for most of us because we're so focused on the what and the where, but God is focused on the how. Hope you'll think differently about that in the future, about your work. And then he concludes these verses in verse 24b by saying this, it is the Lord Christ you are serving, just to remind us once again. So the question is this, what would it look like if you went to work tomorrow And for one day, let's, just, let's not do long term, let's do for one day, <laughs> just one day. For one day, you decided, I'm going to do my work with all of my heart for the Lord. If you had that attitude all day long, write it on a post-it note, put it, on your, put it as a screensaver, do whatever it takes to keep you reminded of that all the time, and you work that way, would it change the way you approach your work? What would that look like? Let me give you four implications real quick. I think these verses talk about it in regard to this. And um, um, this is such uh, great stuff uh, that, uh, that, uh, that I was reading uh, just a while back. It says this, implications of what Paul was saying. Number one, your work has eternal impl implications even if it has no apparent eternal value. Your work has eternal implications even if it has no apparent eternal value. The reason for that, God is watching he watches your work, and one day God will reward you for how well you do it. Number two, how you perform at work is at least as important or maybe more important as where you work. How you perform at work is as important as where you work. We are so focused on the where, but God is saying, but what about now, wherever you are now? You know, when we pray, do we pray, God, uh, give me a new job? Is that what a prayer is? <laughs> or do we pray, God, where I'm at now, help me to do it with all my heart? What is our prayers? And God, if, you know, if I pray that prayer, help me to be consistent with you and, and, and see each day as an act of worship, I'll leave all the job promotion and career change up to you because you're really in control anyway. Three, how, how you perform at work is as important as how you behave at work. Let me say that again. How you perform at work is as important as how you behave at work. And the reason I say that is this. It's interesting. Um, I run into Christians all the time who are so prideful of how much character they display at, at the job. You know, they would never, they would never uh, uh, take a pen from the office. They would never uh, leave early. They would never do these things uh, as far as being there, you know, this, this character thing. But sometimes I've seen those same people be slackers in regard to their jobs because they think their job have, doesn't have eternal significance. And so they just kind of like, like run through the motions and they really don't add too much to what's going on. 
As a Christian, I should be a person of character. Yes, no, I should not steal from my company. I shouldn't leave early. I should take, shouldn't take responsibility for other people's ideas. At the same time, though, am I getting the job done? Work as unto the Lord with all your heart. That's what he's saying. And finally, putting your heart, the fourth application is putting your heart into your work allows God to bless your work. Putting your heart into your work allows God to bless your work. If one of you came to me and said, Pastor Bill, um, I want God to bless my marriage. You know what I'd tell you? If you want God to bless your marriage, look at the principles of marriage in Scripture and follow them. Or if you came to me and said, Pastor Bill, I want God to bless my finances. What would I say? There's lots of scriptural principles about finances and money. Follow God's plan for the use of your money, then God can bless your finances. If you came to me and said, Pastor Bill, I want God to bless my work. What would I say? <laughs> you got it. You need to go to work tomorrow morning, do your job with all your heart as unto the Lord, and when you get, begin to do that, you make yourself blessable. I don't even know if that's a word. So, we wrap up with one quote and one quick story, and we're done. What would it look like if you went to work tomorrow, and for one day, you decided, I'm going to do all of my work with all of my heart for the Lord? What would it look like? When I was uh, uh, preparing this message, I was talking to Dan Baker, our children's pastor, telling him what I was doing. He said, I heard this story and, uh, a long time ago from Andy Stanley. I love Andy Stanley. He's one of my heroes. He's a great storyteller. And he said, you might kind of look it up. It might be a good way to end the message. And Dan was right. So I looked it up, and I, after several hours of, no, I didn't know. It took me about 30 minutes uh, of research. I found a story. And Andy was talking many, 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 many years ago in a message about how he was building a house. It was getting a house built, actually. Uh, this was probably in uh, 2005, 2006. And a friend of his, name was Bob, was a contractor. And Contractor Bob built his house. And he says that one day, Contractor Bob was, and, his, and his crew were working on, they completed a lot of the house, and they were working out on the driveway. And it must have been one of the hottest part of the year in, in Atlanta. That's where they live. I don't know if you've been to Atlanta much. In, in the summer, it's pretty sultry. It's really, really hot sometimes. And he said he was out there, and they were miserable, and uh, they were working on this driveway, trying to get it, you know, they, I think it was going to, you know, they were getting ready to pour the driveway and everything, and, 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 and they were just miserable as can be. And right, right next to the driveway, right next to the driveway was the porta potty Okay? You all know what a porta potty is, right? Do I have to describe it to you? Two and a half by two and a half or something like that. Uh, Thing you don't want to go into ever, no matter how bad it has to, you have to go. Okay, and uh, it was right there, a hot day. You could imagine the great odors that were coming off the porta potty. Okay, worksite porta potties. And he said they were there and they were just. Oh. And all of a sudden they heard this loud music coming down the street. And as the loud music coming down the street, the guy pulled up, and what it was it was the porta john guy. You know, it was the the guy that was going to clean out the porta potty right in the middle of the job site. 
And he said, this guy jumps out. He's this big burly dude with tattoos and long hair. And he got out of the, out of the truck and he, and he goes over to the porta potty and, and, and he, and he gets, has all these tools and stuff. And it's this little place. This guy was huge. He said, he goes inside, closes the door, and he's in there forever. And he said, he's in there and he's, you know, beating stuff around. He's doing stuff. And, and they're going like, oh, no, it's going to be horrible when he comes out. It's going to be just... And he said he came out, and all of a sudden, when he opened the door, this most wonderful odor came out of there. I mean, really. I'm not making this up. It was a wonderful smell, and, he, and it was just, like, tremendously nice. And they're going, like, and, 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 and Bob said, you know, he looked at the guy and said, man, I've never smelled a porta potty that good. That makes me want to go, go in there. And, and the guy looks at it, and he said, well, I want to let you know the guy that was working before, his guy was ready. He said, working before, didn't do a very good job, but you're, I'm going to take care of you now. I want to do a good job of doing this. And then he looks at him, <laughs> and he said, you know, the reason I do this is because I work for the Lord, not for men. And then he gets his stuff, he gets in his van, turns on his Christian music, and he heads down the road. And Bob said he went over, and he'd been complaining all day about the heat and everything like that. He said he went over and he sat down in the sidewalk of Andy Stanley's driveway, or next to the driveway, and started crying. Because he realized, if this guy can have an attitude about that working in a porta potty, why can I not have the right attitude about the Lord as well? Because he thought, this, this guy probably didn't graduate from high school thinking, man, I'm going to be a porta potty technician someday. But he found himself in that position. And instead of complaining and whatever, he was the best porta potty technician. I don't know if that's what you call him. There could possibly be. See, it is the Lord Christ whom you serve and who you work for. This guy got it. The question is do you? Do you? Your daily work is ultimately an act of worship to the God who called and equipped you to do it, no matter what kind of work it is. So do it unto the Lord. That's what you need to do about work. That's, the added, that's how our faith is lived out in the workplace. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much that your word is so clear. <laughs> Man, it's just two little verses there in, in Colossians can mean so many things. But God, sometimes it's the examples of Christians who get it that really strike a chord with us. Thank you, God, for your incredible love, the fact that you created us and you have called every one of us into your service. You're the one we serve, God. Yeah, you know, we may work a job and somebody else signs the paycheck, but God, you know, you made everything to start with. And so as a believer in Christ, we, don't, we have a different attitude about work. Our work is unto you, for you, because it is you that we serve. Help us each day, God. Help us each day to start our day by saying, God, today as I go to work, I work for you. And everything I do today is an act of worship directed back toward you. And as I do that, God, I think it'll make a difference in our lives and I, got, I know it'll make a difference in the people around us because they'll see a different us sometimes. Thank you, God, for your incredible love, your goodness, and your direction you give us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Let's go and stand up together. Let's sing this out. That's not to us. It's to your name, God. <laughs> 